If you turn to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, in the Church Bible, that's page 971, and in the large print, 1509. We've just been singing about the the cross of Christ, uh, and as we sing those songs, we remember and recognize that before God we are nothing, that we are absolutely dependent on God uh, for our salvation. Uh, We cannot boast at all. It's all down to God. And yet, as we come to this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we read about judging, and for ones that sing of how we are nothing before God and we depend on him for everything, and he's done this wonderful work for us, uh, we can be ever so good at feeling like we are better than other people. I remember one time uh, when I was out running and I ran past somebody, which doesn't happen very often, I have to say, uh, and as I was running past, I did have this uh, really wrong thought, was, I'm obviously faster than this person. But I misjudged, really, Because there were a number of things I didn't know about the person I was running past. I didn't know how far they had run. I didn't know if they were carrying an injury. I didn't know uh, uh, how long they'd been running for, how fit they are, and all those kinds of things. It was easy for me to just run past and say, I'm faster than you, without really knowing anything about where they've come from. And that's what happens when we judge. We judge others, and we don't know where they've come from, We don't know why they are the way that they are. There could be whole heaps of reasons why someone that even really irritates us do those irritating things. Reasons we have no idea about. Things that are going on in their life. Things that have happened in their past. And yet, as Christians, the ones who should be so far away from being that kind of judge, we know we struggle with judging others. We've all been misjudged, and we all have misjudged others. And the problem that we have is that we are bad judges. Fallen humans are not good judges. We can never be great judges because we will never have all the facts, and we are incapable, we are in our limited capacity as human beings, to see into the heart We can never fully understand the motive. We can never understand fully, perfectly, why someone is the way that they are. And yet, every single day, we make judgments, don't we? Surely, we are challenged by these words from Jesus, do not judge. But think about it for a second. Before we uh, look at that, and uh, in, in more detail, it's, it's worth understanding what perhaps Jesus doesn't mean here. I mean, is it right, don't judge, ever? Is it right that when uh, we go to school and there's an assembly on stranger danger, we tell the children, well, no, if someone pulls up to you in a van, don't judge them? No, we want them to make a harsh judgment, don't we? We want, we want them to think, I don't want, this, this guy might be trouble. What about when we're employing somebody and we have to make a decision on which one is the best person to employ? We we have to judge, don't we, on all sorts of things. 
Should we fire all the judges in our society and, and, and abolish the position of judges because Jesus says, do not judge? But of course not. The Bible even tells us that in society we need judges to make those decisions on sentencing and such like. Are those judges exempt from this command? Well, of course not. It doesn't mean, though, that they must not judge in that kind of way that they are employed to judge. It can't mean those things. Jesus isn't saying to us, Christians, set aside your critical faculties and don't think. In fact, the Bible commands in various places that we as Christians are to judge in the church, choosing elders, weighing prophecy, church discipline, discerning teaching. These are all areas of judging. And yet here we read, do not judge. What does Jesus mean? Well, this verse is as well one of the verses that's thrown back at Christians more than any other. Most non-Christians know this verse. And they kind of get it right about what Jesus means. What they say is when, when you say something against the grain of culture, when you say something is wrong, they'll say, But Jesus says, do not judge. If you call sin, sin, we're told, do not judge. And this verse is then used to avoid any kind of accountability to God's word. Well, that's not how we're to use this verse. So what does Jesus mean? What is going on here? Well, first of all, we have to see the context of where this verse is. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at Christian character. That's the Beatitudes. We've looked at what, the, the, what kind of behavior Christians are to have. Then we've looked at the law, what Jesus teaches about how that applies to the Christian life in chapter 5. In chapter 6, we've seen how uh, we're to live in light of our Heavenly Father, watching over us always, not practicing our righteousness to be seen by others, not storing up treasures on earth, but storing them up in heaven, not worrying because we know that our Father cares for us. We've seen many challenging commands in this Sermon on the Mount. And when we read Matthew chapter 5 and 6, there can be two responses that we could have. The first response is judgmentalism. That is, we can look at this and we can say, I'm a Christian, I live this out, so therefore because I'm a Christian and I'm in the kingdom, I am better than others. And to this attitude, Jesus says, do not judge. It's an attitude of thinking, you are better than somebody else. But the other problem we have, or we could have rather, is that we can read the commands in the, New, in the Sermon on the Mount, such as, love your enemies, and we can say, well, if I'm going to love people, I can't really tell them about sin, because it, they, they're not going to like it. If I, if I tell them about that they're sinners, if I, if I share something with them that I think they might need to work on, then, well, that, that I'm not really loving them, I'm going to upset them. Well, to this, Jesus speaks in this passage, too, about judging rightly. And so in this, these six verses, we see two things about judgment. First of all, we see the sin of judging. And then secondly, 
In this passage, we're going to see the judgment, judgment, judging of sin. The sin of judging and the judging of sin. So we're, let's read the passage together and hopefully uh, you'll see those things. And if you don't, don't worry because hopefully you will as we go through. So Matthew chapter 7 uh, from verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. Well, so first of all, the sin of judging. Well, verse 1 begins with this command, do not judge. And it's talking of uh, what we might call judgmentalism. An old English word is the word censorious. It means judging harshly, judging wrongly. It's like the, the Pharisee to the tax collector. Look at what he's doing. I'm not like him, I'm better than him. We can judge harshly for a number of reasons, for how someone looks, for how someone acts, for what they have said, for how they have treated you. They've, they've rubbed you up the wrong way. They just, they, people, I mean, some people are just irritating, aren't they? they? It's just true. They are irritating. We, and they irritate us for a number of reasons. And we can judge them for that. But whatever the reason, the symptoms of judgmentalism are many and varied. And I want to tell you some of these symptoms just to show that all of us are guilty of this sin of judging. So, this shows itself in fault-finding. So fault-finding is where we look for things that are wrong in others and we point it out. Look at what they do. And we point it out to ourselves and then we also really want to point it out to others as well. Look at what they're doing. Look at, look at their sin. This is an, an example of this, and it, this might be controversial, but an example of this is at the moment in the news, isn't it, where the politicians who are being judged for their sexual behaviour. Now, I'm not saying, I am not saying that their behaviour is any way acceptable. Of course it's not. But it's easy, isn't it, to point the finger and judge. Look at them. How dare they? Look at what they're doing in this kind of fault-finding attitude when if someone came and looked at our lives, I wonder what they would find. You see? Fault-finding. Uh, it shows itself in, in gossip. You know, one of the easiest ways to make friends with people is to talk about other people behind their back in judgmental ways. It's a sad state of affairs, but it's true, isn't it? If you want to strike up a conversation with someone and they really want to talk to you, if you talk about other people in a, in a way that's judgmental, about what they're doing wrong, they'll want to talk to you. It shows itself in being opinionated, especially opinionated about things that have nothing to do with you. It shows itself in being unmerciful, not helping others because of how you are judging them, for how you feel about them. 
It shows itself in not giving people the benefit of the doubt, but thinking the worst about them. That's judgmentalism or censoriousness. It basically comes down to this. We think we are better than others. And the issue at heart is pride. And Jesus gives us two reasons in verses uh, 1 to 4 why this is sin. And the first reason is that it usurps God's throne. It usurps God's throne. It says in verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now some interpret this as if you judge others, then other people are also going to judge you. And to a point that's true, in the sense that if you're a judgmental person, and you're known for someone who's always fault-finding and nitpicking, other people are more likely to talk about you behind your back. That's just the fact of life. But it's unlikely that that's what Jesus means here. Really, what Jesus is saying is that do not judge, or you too will be judged by God. You see, a lot of people don't care about what other people think about them. They don't care if they're judged by others. Some people care greatly about it, but some people don't. It's not serious to them. But being judged by God, although it may not seem serious to them, is very serious indeed. If we judge others, God will judge us. It's a similar principle to elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. Just turn back uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. So if we are going to be shown mercy by God, we need to be merciful people. Or Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 uh, um, and 15. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The principle is the same kind of thing. If you're going to judge others, then God is going to judge you. Now, it's not saying that we earn God's favour, we earn God's mercy, we earn God's forgiveness, we avoid God's judgment by doing um, mercy, forgiveness, and not judging. But what it's saying is, the principle here through the scripture is, if we're Christians, if we are saved by the blood of Jesus, and we recognize that I am nothing before God, and he has done all the work of salvation for me, we are not going to act in this way. Because of what we've been singing a moment ago, we have no right to judge others in the way Jesus is talking about here. Uh, The book of James uh, helps us to understand Uh, what Jesus means here. James chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12. Uh, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you? to judge your neighbour. And that's quoted from uh, Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. The Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, it is him who will save us. Now James here is speaking, uh, talks about speaking against the law. 
by speaking against the brother. What he means here is that the law that's being referred to is the law of love your neighbour. And when we judge harshly, we are redefining God's law of love to say it doesn't apply to this person. Yes, I must love my neighbour, but not this neighbour. God's law doesn't stretch to that person because they're just too sinful or they're just too annoying or they rub me up the wrong way. And we're redefining God's law, really redefining the word neighbour, which is what the man did before the parable of the Good Samaritan, didn't he? Who is my neighbour? Can't be everybody, surely. They don't deserve it. They're not worthy of God's love. But Isaiah says, the Lord is our judge, lawgiver, and saviour. Nobody's worthy of God's love. But because God has loved us, we're to love others. Making that decision on who is worthy or not worthy is not our decision. Nobody's worthy. But the Lord is the saviour. The Lord is the one who saves people from their sins. He is the judge, not us. And when we judge our neighbour, we play God. And he will judge us. How? Look at verse 2. In the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When we judge others, it's always against a measure of some kind. When Jesus says measure here, what, what's, what's going on is, uh, I, you can, uh, an exa- as an example, a measure could be behaviour. A measure could be income. A measure uh, could be accent. I'm going to judge you according to how you behave, how much money you earn, what kind of house you have, where you come from. Those are all measures of judgment. And Jesus is saying, in, in the same way that you judge, with that measure it's going to be judged against you. But the problem is that if we use those kind of measures and God judges us by those kind of measures, then we're in big trouble, aren't we? Because our standard is never going to be as high as God. So, for example, the measure of behaviour. If I judge you according to how you behave, how am I going to measure up? How am I going to go, how's it going to go for me when God judges me according to how I behave? Because however I expect you to behave, it's never going to be as high as what God's standard is for me. If I was to judge you on your income, how am I going to get on when that measure is used against me, when God is the one who owns the whole universe? If I judge you according to your accent or how you speak, how am I going to get on when God judges me, when his word is perfect? You see, whatever measure that we use, well, God could use that measure against us. And every time, God's standard is way higher than ours. And we're always going to fall short. We, in, in other words, we do not want to be measured like this. We do not want God to judge us in the way that Jesus is saying, don't judge others here. Christians don't judge because they are poor in spirit, because they realise that they don't measure up. In the the first beatitude, does it say, blessed are the judgmental in spirit? No. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Christians know that under no measure will they reach God's standard. And they cry out for mercy and submit to him. Christians are the tax collectors, not the Pharisees from the parable. Judging others usurps God's throne as we think we are better and we know best. But we need more humility than that because God is better, he is best and he knows best. We need poverty of spirit, not judgmentalism. And the reason is because we are sinners and that is what Jesus moves on to. Judging others usurps God's throne, but secondly, judging others ignores our sin. And this illustration Jesus uses here is crazy, isn't it? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now imagine going to the opticians, and you walk in and you sit in the chair, and you know where the story's going, don't you? The optician, well, he doesn't walk through the door because he's got a problem. There's a plank that's stopping him getting through. There's a big plank in his eyes and he, he tilts his head and he gets himself through the door and he comes to see you and he says, right, let's look at that eye. And there he is with a plank in front of his own eye. Well, if it was me, I'd be off the chair and I'd leave and I'd go somewhere else. I'd find another optician. Because this optician is not going to help with my little uh, speck of sawdust in my eye because he can't even see. Because he's got this plank in his own eye. Now the story is it's ridiculous, but it's supposed to be. Because it's ridiculous for someone to say, how can I help you with your eye when you've got the plank? But it's just as ridiculous to say, how can I help you with your sin when you've got this huge great sin right in front of your eyes that you're not dealing with yourself? The optician needs to stop practicing optometry until he's got his eyes sorted. And the point here isn't hard to see, no pun intended. The speck of sawdust is a problem. Okay? Don't think, by the way, that Jesus is saying here, don't worry about the little specks. That's not the point here. The speck of sawdust is a problem. In fact, if you had the speck of sawdust in your eye and you didn't deal with it, you could go blind, couldn't you? This is a problem. Jesus isn't saying that some sin is so small, don't worry about it. That's not what he means. It's not about the size of the sin, but the attitude to the sin. The point is that it's so easy to see the small sins in others and miss the big planks in our own. Judgmentalism doesn't take into account our own sin. It ignores it, and it has to ignore it in order for us to judge others. And look at, look at verse 4. There's, a, there's an offer here of help, isn't there? They, they, they say, well, let me help. Let me help you take that speck out of your eye. But they can't help. They're just annoying and unhelpful. Because, be sure of this, the person with the speck might have a problem with their eye, but they can sure see your plank. And when you're coming to others and saying, oh, let, let me help you with your sin, they're being judgmental here. This isn't a, help, this isn't a love your neighbour kind of help. This is a, I'm better than you kind of help. 
How can you say, Jesus? How can you do that? How can you go to others and judge them for their sin and say how you want to help them when you've got this great plank in front of your eye that you're not even dealing with? While there is sin in our lives that we are ignoring, we cannot help others with theirs. By the way, that's why it's so important that in, in uh, qualifications for elders and deacons and, and leaders in the church, there's the qualification of being blameless. Blameless isn't about being perfect. The point is, we can't lead with planks in front of us. Because no one's going to listen to what we have to say. The help that you're offering in verse 4 is actually counterproductive. It doesn't help at all. It causes people probably to just run away and not want your help and maybe run away from church altogether. If you really were serious about sin, if you really were serious about helping other people with their sin, then you would be serious about dealing with your own. It's so true that often those who talk the loudest about the evils of sin and how bad society is and how horrible this, uh, the, the sin is in the world and how bad all these politicians are, the ones that shout the loudest about that, if you were to see them, would have planks in their own eyes. Judging others ignores sin. And judging others' sin and ignoring your own makes you unhelpful to others and ineffective in the life of the church. Note uh, this as well. In chapter 6, Jesus talks of hypocrites. He says, uh, he he talks about the, the teachers of the law being hypocrites in the way that they act. But here, he's talking about hypocrites in the church in verse 5. So, uh, for example, chapter 6, verse 16, he talks about when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do. He's talking about people outside, if you like. Don't be like outside hypocrites. But here, you hypocrite. How dare you? How dare you judge others, you hypocrite, when you are not dealing with your own sin? Now when I say dealing with our own sin, I don't mean saving ourselves from sin. Jesus saves us from sin. What I mean is confession, repentance. So we need to stop this, uh, this gossip about others. Stop talking about them behind their back about their sin. Stop picking faults in other people's lives. John Stott says this, We need to be as critical of ourselves as we are of others and as generous to others as we are to ourselves. We need to be as critical of ourselves as we are of others and as generous to others as we are to ourselves. So friends, we need to examine ourselves, don't we? What are the planks that are right in front of your eyes? What are they? We need to confess those planks to God and we need to repent of our sin and walk in obedience to Christ. And if we've hurt others, if one of those planks is sin against others and they know and they're hurt by this, go and speak to them. 
tell them, brother or sister, I've, I've had this plank in my eye and I, I, I want to remove it and I need to apologize to you. So examine ourselves. What are the planks? But also examine our attitude to ourselves. Are you thinking in any way, for any reason, that you are better than anybody else? Rather, our attitude should be this. Like Paul the Apostle, I am the chief of sinners. It's not so that we feel miserable about ourselves. It's so that we get some perspective of who we are before God. We are no better than anybody else. We would be much better off spending the time we spend fault-finding and gossiping, confessing our sin to God and praying for others. But when we have a right attitude, when we have removed the plank from our eye, well actually, Jesus goes on to say we can help other sinners. Because we're not only told about the sin of judging here, but also we're told about the judging of sin. Notice, that, notice this, this is really important, because I think this is often missed. At the end of verse 5, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you notice that? You will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, Jesus isn't saying you mustn't talk to others about sin. He's saying, no, make sure that you are right with God. Make sure that you have planks removed and then go and help others remove the speck. Because the speck's important. This means when we are right with God, help others with sin. With a non-judgmental attitude. Uh, practically, Jesus talks about this later in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Notice there, no gossiping. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And then he goes on to talking about church discipline. But it's our responsibility... As brothers and sisters in Christ, to go to our brothers and sisters and say, between the two of you, with, a, with planks removed, look, I, I, I'm seeing this in your life and I want to I pray for you and help you. See, there's a clear command here to, to help each other with sin. It needs to be discreet between the two of you. It needs to be with the intention in Matthew chapter 18 of winning them over, which means not to be more like you. I mean, that's what we often can think. Our judgment of what is right often seems to be if you behave like I do. But rather, it's to win them over to holiness. It doesn't love our neighbour to let them carry on in sin and lead them to destruction. And the point in Matthew 7 is this. Help others without the plank-shaped judgmentalism before you. So before speaking to someone, pray for them. Pray for yourself. Examine yourself. And then when you do help somebody, listen to them. Understand them. Help them as one sinner to another. Don't you dare go with judgmentalism. May it be humbly pointing them to Jesus. Well, in verse 5, it's... Uh, of Matthew 7, it, this is Christian to Christian. 
We know that because it talks about your brother's eye. But in verse 6, there's another kind of judgment we have to make, which is to unbelievers. Look again at verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. When we think of dogs, um, I, I say we, when I think of dogs, I always think of the Andrex puppy. Okay? Lovely. Um, it would annoy me if they really did take the toilet roll. Um, my dog never did that. But I think of the Andrex puppy. Okay? That's what we think about with dogs. The dogs Jesus talks about here are not Andrex puppy dogs. They are scavengers. They are dirty. They are violent and dangerous. And when it talks of sacred food, this is food offered by the priest in the temple. And for some sacrifices that the priest made, they were able to take some of the meat home for themselves and their family. But the, the meat was holy. It wasn't to be just given out generally. It was for the priest set apart for him and his family as their share of food. He would never give the, the sacred food to dogs to these dirty scavengers. In fact, he, he, probably, he wouldn't give the food even to the Andrex puppy. But the point here is you wouldn't give what is sacred, you wouldn't give this holy food to dogs. And neither do you give pearls to pigs. Now, when it's talking again of pigs, uh, pigs to the Jews were unclean, but also, uh, more than that here, the pigs here are, are, are wild boars. They're not just... Uh, I quite like pigs, actually. I think they're quite cute, but... These pigs aren't. These are, 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 are violent pigs, again. And if you throw them pearls, okay, they might think that this per, these pearls are food. And then they'll go up and they'll, like, with, you know, start try and eat them. And then they'll realise these are pearls. And then if they're wild boars, they'll look at you and they'll get irritated. Because I don't want pearls, I want proper food. I mean... If I was given pearls for dinner and I'm hungry, I'd be annoyed. The wild boars would be frustrated and the danger is they'll trample you and tear you apart. Well, this is all very interesting. This isn't animal welfare that Jesus is talking about. What's the point? Well, pearls elsewhere in, the, in, the, uh, in Matthew's Gospel uh, are used to uh, describe the kingdom of heaven. What is sacred talks about what is from God, what is of God. So it's talking here of the gospel, of the kingdom, of the truth of God. That's the sacred and the pearls. And Jesus says, don't waste the precious truth of God on dogs and hogs. But that leaves us with two questions, doesn't it? Who are the dogs and pigs? And how do we waste the gospel on them? Well, the dogs and pigs are those who do not appreciate the gospel. They don't understand it, or they reject it, or are hostile to it. And we waste it on them when we keep giving it to them when they don't want to hear it. Now, this is not an excuse for not sharing our faith. We are not the judge on who is a dog or a pig before we've met them. Nor are we the final judge on who is a dog or a pig. 
The point is, be wise in sharing the gospel. Uh, one exa- two examples from the New Testament, and then a couple of um, examples from um, today, from life today. Uh, in the, Jesus told his disciples when they share the gospel, and somebody uh, doesn't want to know, he tells them to wipe the dust off their feet and go, and go somewhere else. He doesn't say, stay there. Why? Don't waste your pearls before pigs. Paul the Apostle, he spoke, first of all, when he went to a town, often in the synagogue. But oftentimes we read in Acts that the Jewish people rejected the gospel, they didn't want to know, and so Paul left them and went to the Gentiles. Why? Why didn't he just stay in the synagogue, continue trying to persuade them? Because he doesn't want to waste his pearls before pigs. An illustration from my own life was uh, a few years ago, I was on a business trip, uh, with somebody, and uh, we were staying in a hotel, and uh, we, went, we went for dinner, and after dinner, we stayed behind at the bar, and I was talking to this guy about Jesus. He seemed really interested. I was excited. I thought, this is great. He was asking me loads of questions, and after three hours, <laughs> and just after midnight, it dawned on me that he was just winding me up. He wasn't trying to find out more about Jesus, he was trying to win an argument. He was trying to get me to see that he was right and the Bible was wrong. And it was only after three hours of this that I I realised this and I made my excuses and went to bed. I should have noticed it earlier. He really was not interested in the gospel. He was just interested in a fight. Another example, we were doing uh, door-to-door quite recently. Uh, We knocked on the door of a man and he was really interested to talk to us. And after a couple of minutes, there was a funny smell of alcohol coming from this man. And he was very drunk. And he was trying to uh, talk about Jesus and the conversation was going all over the place. He wasn't going to understand what we were saying. There was no way. We had to realise that there were loads of other doors we needed to go to. Again, made our excuses and went. If we keep annoying people when they don't want to hear and we, and we don't listen to the signs of I'm not interested and we push ourselves onto people like the dogs and the pigs, they can attack us and just get really annoyed. At the same time, We are to persevere with people. And so applying this command, we should look for opportunities to share Christ when we can and with whoever we can, judging each conversation and praying for wisdom. This isn't saying that we are the judge of of who is a dog or a pig. So if that friend who I spent three hours with arguing about Jesus rings me up, Uh, tomorrow or tonight and says, I want to talk about Jesus, I can't put the phone down and say, no pig. If the guy that was drunk comes to church on Sunday, I can't say, sorry, no place for dogs and pigs. The point is, at that moment, judge the conversation. And that's how we apply it as well to our families that don't know Jesus. As I was uh, preparing this, I realised the anniversary of me being a Christian Uh, is in October. 22 years I've been a Christian. And my family have never once shown an interest in Jesus. 
Sometimes they've been hostile. Do I label them, therefore, as pigs and dogs and say, well, forget it, I'm going to give up? Certainly not. But when I'm with my family, I need to pray that the Holy Spirit will lead me to talk of Jesus. I need to pray for them all the time. When I go there, I can have conversations that are not about Jesus. That's okay. And over the years, opportunities have come as I've read the Bible um, at the breakfast table or I've been talking about what we've been doing at church. It's a call not to give up. Verse 6 is a call to wise up. And there are other applications, helping uh, people repent of sin. If someone is not willing, if someone is, is no interest in turning from sin, then don't waste time on them. Pray for them. Be prepared for, to help in the future. Pray that their heart changes, but you can't force what the heart is not prepared for. Or when we're teaching the Bible, we need to think about how we teach the Bible in, in church, in Sunday school, in uh, all the other areas where we teach the Bible. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, talks about not giving solid food, but giving milk. When my uh, children were babies, I didn't waste the good food that I cooked on them when they, all they could drink was milk. Jesus is saying, be wise about how we teach. So let's judge wisely. But let's also be thankful, as we come to a conclusion, that, that Jesus Christ was not judgmental to us. He died for sinners from every background imaginable. We read in the Bible, God does not show favoritism. But Jesus Christ was also our example in discerning who he shared the gospel with. Sometimes he left places. He was done with that place and he went somewhere else. Not everybody who wanted to see Jesus got to see Jesus. And may we be the same. May we judge wisely but with poverty of spirit to the glory of God. And the final thing I just want to point out before I finish is let's close by thinking of Jesus. We've got two points here. The judging, uh, the sin of judging and the judging of sin. And when we think of Christ, we see both, don't we? Jesus Christ was judged harshly as a sinner when he had done nothing wrong. Jesus was judged for sin. He was judged for our sin. He was judged for the sin of judging. All of the times that I've misjudged others, those times have been placed on Jesus. He was judged for them. He died on the cross and he paid for those sins. But he rose again and he ascended to heaven. And Jesus is coming again and he is the judge of sinners too. You see, he was judged for sin and he's the judge of sin. And on that day that he returns, either you will be judged for your sin or Jesus takes the judgment for you. And when we're weighing up that truth, there is only one way that we can judge is right, isn't there? I cast my sin on Christ who died for me. I lay it on him and I seek his forgiveness. And I turn to Christ and I follow him and I don't judge other people because 
I recognize what I am before God. But I want to help others to live for God's glory. And so I judge wisely. And I want to share this good news that Christ has been judged for sinners and he's the judge of sinners. I want to share that with other people. And so I share the gospel wisely with others as well. That should be our attitude. That's how we apply this passage. This is what Jesus means when he says, do not judge, but judge wisely. Let's do these things to the glory of God. And we're going to close with um, a a final hymn, uh, And Can It Be? Uh, let's, uh, as we go uh, forth from this place, as we think about what we've heard, let's go with this in our mind, that how can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's love? How is it that I could be saved? And with that attitude, may we go and not judge, but judge wisely. Let's stand and close in song.